Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another interview of Moving to Live. This is part one of two with a physical therapist. Actually, our second physical therapist that we've interviewed a few episodes back, we had two, a two-part interview with Dr. Sam Wood, who's a physical therapist out in, Cali- in Colorado. We're about as far away from Colorado with who we're talking to today. I believe she is calling us from Charleston, South Carolina, or at least in South Carolina. She is also a physical therapist. She was introduced to me by Menachem Brody of Human Vortex Training. I had the opportunity to meet Menachem through the NSCA Strength and Conditioning Journal. And then I also was able to interview him for another one of our podcasts, moving, excuse me, FitLab Pittsburgh. So today we are with Dr. Sarah Duvall. Sarah is a or a, a physical therapist who is a little bit unique in the general world of physical therapy in that number one, she doesn't work in a clinic. And number two, her specialty is working with functional training and postpartum patients, especially that seems to be her passion. So Sarah, thanks for taking time to talk for moving to live today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think the first question we need to ask or we need to get out of the way is, are you a South Carolina native or did you move around quite a bit in your studies, athletic pursuits and end up in South Carolina? Well, I actually don't live in South Carolina. Ah. Right at the bat, I'm actually in Boston, but part of my transition to get here is what shaped my career path. So I went to the Medical University of South Carolina for physical therapy school and then stayed in Charleston, opened a practice there, which I loved. Amazing patients. I had some people working for me. It was really great. My husband is in biotech. And biotech in Charleston is pretty much non-existent. And when his company got sold, there was nowhere else to work. So we packed up and headed to Virginia. 
in which we went into another small town with another small biotech company where the same thing happened. Uh, so we were in Virginia for a little less than two years, just enough time for me to rent space and get another private practice started. And then we moved to Boston and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start an online business now and continue seeing people in person, but I've got to have another route if he's going to move me around the country every two years. So. And your business is called... Core exercise solutions. And so if you're meeting somebody, you maybe you're flying from Boston back to visit family and you've got a bag, you've got a notebook that says core exercise solutions and somebody asks you on the plane or wait in the waiting area for the plane, what is core exercise solutions? What's your pat or take home? This is what it is. Hmm. That's a good question. That's my, the, the one liner. I believe in education. I want women to be empowered. I want women to, and men for that matter, but I see this a lot in women where they just lose themselves a bit when they have a baby. So that's been my passion is helping to empower them with the knowledge they need to recover 100%. And by recover 100%, you mean after childbirth? Yes, correct. So physical therapist with your own online business, but you didn't start there. Were you an athlete in high school? And at what point in time did you fall, fall upon physical therapy and say, hey, this is something that I want to do. So let's start with high school. Are you a, or Anne, and we can say this with anybody who has graduated from school and working and still active, are you an aging athlete? I am a, certainly an aging athlete. But you know, the cool thing is, is I feel stronger and more put together now after two kids than I did when I was competing in college. So I'm sure we'll get to some of that, but it's been really neat. The more I learn, the more I'm able to put my body together. And that's part of what I want to share with people is not making all the mistakes that I made going, going through life. But I actually knew I wanted to be a physical therapist when I was 14. So a little before 13, a little before high school, I started volunteering at the hospital on the cancer ward and I knew I wanted to help people, but I couldn't handle most people getting worse. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I've got to find something in healthcare that is really positive, but where I have some autonomy. And it's when I found physical therapy and I just fell in love with it. I had, I was shadowing under a great PT and uh, continued volunteering through throughout high school and I just love the profession from the beginning. And I know that the way times are now, you don't go and you don't get a bachelor's degree in, phys in physical therapy. So what was your undergraduate degree in and where was it from? Um, I, well, I ended up going to Clemson because I like the head coach there the most. Uh, and then I ended up majoring in biology, basically, because I didn't really need a major. You just go straight through to school, to PT school. So nothing, nothing super exciting there. They didn't have an exercise science major. So if I hadn't liked the coach so much, I would have gone to a school that had had one because I think that would have been a really great undergrad to have. And I got the living in South Carolina wrong. Let's see if my research was correct on this. You were a pole vaulter in college. Is that correct? I was. I pole vaulted for Clemson, which everyone knows now since they won a national championship for football. <laughs> And the question I think for that is pole vaulting is not your typical sport and definitely not your typical sport for women. I think it only became uh, an Olympic sport for women within the past 15 or 20 years, if I'm correct. So how did you get started in pole vaulting? That's not something that somebody looks and well, says, I'm going to do pole vaulting. 
You know, when you say 15 or 20 years, it became a sport. I'm like, the only thought I had was, oh my gosh, I'm so old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I was actually the first woman to pole vault in the state of South Carolina, um, which is, I think, pretty cool. My coach was like, okay, they're going to do a trial thing at Coach's Classic, uh, not the state event, but uh, uh, invitational. And we're just going to, we're going to let open it up and see if any women want to pull out. My coach was like, you can do this. It's going to be fun. Let's give it a shot. So I was like, sure, why not? And uh, so then I, I loved it. I, I like the, uh, I'm a adrenaline junkie, I guess. So I, I love the sport instantly. I love trying to be better than the boys. I competed on the boys team for a lot of the meets because they didn't allow me to compete for the girls team. Uh, so it's, it was a really fun sport. And what was the background in athletic or movement activity prior to your coach saying, hey, guess what, Sarah, you're going to pole vault? I was a, well, I played volleyball in high school, which is not relevant to that, but I loved it. It was a great sport. I I water skied a lot. So the water skiing, I think, gave me the upper body strength and the ability to hold on to something. And I think she looked at me and said, you know what? She's kind of crazy. That makes sense. And yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you get to you get to Clemson and you alluded to this before, you feel stronger now after two children than you did at Clemson. Do you look back at some of the things that you did as an athlete in Clemson and going and go, what the heck was I thinking? You have no idea. It makes me so mad what some of those coaches did to me. I mean, I left with a rotator cuff tear. I competed at uh, ACCs with two stress two stress fractures. Uh, and by the way, I placed at ACCs with two stress fractures and I was like, you know what, this is not healthy to do this to someone's body. I mean, they basically just ran me into the ground. There was no individual programming. There was no meeting somebody where they were at. It was just, here's the standard practice. We're not going to assess any of your strengths or weaknesses. So it was, it was, a uh, quite eye opening for me and probably pushed me further into my decision to go into physical therapy. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, as a female pole vaulter at a Division One school, the track and field, unless they're a really, really good track and field school, it's considered a non-revenue sport, so you don't get a whole lot of strength and conditioning and individualized attention for your specific sport. Is that correct? Well, we, we actually did. I mean, Clemson's a pretty big school, and they put a lot toward athletics. Uh, so, I mean, we did have a strength and conditioning coach. I uh, was lifting four days a week. Um, so it was, I mean, it was pretty intense, but there wasn't a lot of individual assessment and programming. So I know looking back, you said there are changes or you go, how could I have done that? Just looking back, if you could have done one or two things differently while pole vaulting at Clemson, what do you think you would have done training wise? Mm understood well it's it's the knowledge base understanding what you're supposed to work when and how uh, so that you don't end up overworking things that lead to injuries down the road if that that's kind of a vague question <laughs> I mean a vague answer but you you'll just you see somebody and they're in the gym and maybe they're lifting a weight they're you know doing deadlift or something. And they feel the deadlift more in their back than they do their glutes and hamstrings. But there's nobody there to say, here's where you should feel that. Let me fix this one thing on your form to put it in the right place. And then let me educate you on what an overuse injury is. And if we just back off a pinch, give you a little time to recover, then you will actually make more gains in the long run and be a better athlete a few years down the road. 
So looking at back at 18 to 22 or 23 year old Sarah, the current Sarah would say, you know, more isn't necessarily better and listen to your body. Correct. Yes. Yes. There's wisdom that comes with age. <laughs> so one of the things that often happens when people finish their collegiate career, especially if it's division one, where there's a fairly high level of competition. And this is my little dig at the ACC since I got my doctorate <laughs> at an SEC school. Hey. <laughs> but it's still a very high level of athletic competition. At what point did you realize, you know, once I graduate, my pole vaulting career is over? And how did you handle that? Because I know I've talked earlier with uh, other people. I know I talked with Dr. Jay Dawes, who had a baseball career ended, and he was fortunate to fall into strength and conditioning. So I'm always curious with people who have the opportunity to play Division One athletics, and at some point they realize, you know, I'm not going to be an Olympian or I'm not going to be a professional at this sport. I need to figure out what to do to keep my sanity because it's a lot of time to be an athlete at Division One level. It is. It's a lot of time, uh, and I actually ended up quitting early. I quit um, my last year at Clemson because I, after competing at ACCs with two stress fractures, a torn rotator cuff, multiple muscle tears, I uh, and then pin relays with an ear infection, I was like, coach, I'm done. I quit on the bus on the way back from pin relays. I was like, I can't. I love the sport. I love what I'm doing, but I can't take any more abuse. So... I I quit and it felt good. It was scary. It was hard. I knew I was going to miss the team. I was going to miss everything that went with that. You miss the status of being a student athlete in a college. Like it's kind of a cool thing. The camaraderie, everything that goes with that. But I channeled. I started distance running. I don't know why. I'm I was crazy. That was probably a really bad idea. Um, but I started distance running. Went and played on a volleyball league, a recreational volleyball league. Uh, got to compete there, and I picked up rock climbing, which. I found out I truly loved more than anything in the world. So I'm actually really glad I quit because I just channeled it in the three other sports and I was so happy. So changing directions just a little bit from the athletic performance or movement performance type thing, bio major right into physical therapy school. And I know we talked a little bit before we started recording the typical path for most physical therapists and by no means is moving to live interviewing typical physical therapists. So you're atypical in a good way, but the typical path is okay. You've graduated. Maybe you're, you have the good fortune to do a fellowship in something. And then you go to work in a clinic and you alluded to this with your kind of path. When I made the error of saying you were in South Carolina and you're in Boston, <laughs> you alluded to the fact that you did that. Well, I, uh, I, I was actually a personal trainer for years before being a physical therapist, I when I was home for summer and from college in the summer, I worked at a local Y as a trainer, helping people get started on fitness programs and things like that. And uh, and then I carried that through and actually worked and paid for physical therapy school as a personal trainer. So that was phenomenal for me because I got to ex I got to learn and then I got to apply straight away. There was no waiting, which was really awesome. I'm pretty sure I pushed the bounds a bit on scope of practice and what personal trainers are supposed to do as I was learning things, but you know what? It all worked out. So, How much did the having worked as a personal trainer help you when you got into physical therapy school and as a physical therapist? I know I'm a fairly active member of the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and I know there are a number of physical therapists who are members, and you can see the difference between people or physical therapists who are familiar with exercise 
outside of a rehabilitation setting and physical therapists who just learn it in the rehabilitation setting. So how, how did you find that it was different having the experience as a personal trainer? Well, I mean, you hit it on the head there. Like you, you actually have experience with exercise. You understand body movement. You understand how the muscles work. You understand working the muscles. I mean, it's, it's definitely the, the experience goes a long way. I mean, other people in my class, they would come to the gym and they would do the elliptical for 30 minutes and then they would do some crunches on a ball and then they would leave. And I'm over there like racking up deadlifts and doing pull-ups and, you know, all kinds of stuff from college days and wanting to get seriously strong. And it was in big, very, very big contrast to most of the people in my physical therapy class. And to answer your question, I guess a little better, it got me in trouble once uh, on uh, practicals when we were, when it was graduation and you, you know, you go and take the big board certified test, but we had a uh, practical that you had to pass uh, at the school where they give you a patient example, you do an assessment, tell them how you would treat the patient. And so I got IT band syndrome or something easy. So I'm like, I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to do this glute exercise followed by this one. And my teacher's like, well, that's not what we taught you. And I was like, well, but it works. <laughs> and one teacher, I mean, my teachers got in an argument in front of me because one was like, well, I don't like it. And the other one was like, no, I think it's great. So it was so funny. I, I divided the PT faculty community, which I, uh, I continued to divide the PT community again after school when I was like, I'm going to go into this rehab uh, training and just open South Carolina. It, it wasn't very progressive back when I graduated. So <laughs> now there's all of these people bridging the gap between training and rehab. And th that wasn't happening back in 2005. It just wasn't happening, especially in the southeast. I mean, up here in Boston now, everybody was doing it. Like it's it's where healthcare new innovation is born. It's a pretty cool city to live in. But back then, it just it wasn't happening. And so I had so many PTs tell me you can't do that. And I was like, yeah, no, I, actually, I can. They're like, no, it's not going to work. I'm like, oh no, it's it's going to work. Just like those coaches and the that would pull me aside on the track team and, and walk me up. I remember this one guy came up to me and put his arm around me and he's like, young lady, women are not supposed to pole vault. You're going to get hurt. I was like, okay. <laughs> he's like, you shouldn't do it. I was like, well, you can't tell me what to do. So <laughs> thanks coach, but <laughs> no thanks. I can't believe the amount of resistance I got from other men's men's, you know, track and field coaches in high school that were so upset about me bull vaulting. I was like, you know what? I've been doing this my whole life. A little more resistance is just whatever. It's normal. <laughs> so, but my teachers were really for it. They, they sent me all kinds of patients. I got great referrals from them, uh, which made me feel really good about my decision. And who cares if the mainstream typical, uh, you know, clinic that was having trouble thinking outside its box was having trouble with it. And now 11 or 12 years after graduating, I guess almost 13 years, the emphasis on exercise and physical therapy is much, much more prevalent, whether you're in Boston or South Carolina or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Would you agree? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, it's almost normal now. I mean, it's as normal as it can be, especially if you're in a ortho sports medicine clinic. I mean, I think it's much more prevalent. It's pretty awesome. I know for me, the interesting thing was, I guess it was 2008 or 2009, I was diagnosed with a herniated disc in my low back and had some radiculopathy. 
and did the normal rehab and because I'm active, continued to be active and periodically had flare-ups. And I remember people saying, well, you've got a herniated disc and you know you always have to be careful and you're always going to have problems. And then I discovered uh, Dr. Stuart McGill and had the good fortune to go to a uh, Shirley Sarman conference, who I'm sure we'll talk about in the second part of this interview. And to see, I just recently herniated another disc about uh, eight weeks ago. And to see the difference in information, now it's kind of like, yeah, you've got a herniated disc. I went to see the orthopedic surgeon and he did the tests and I had significant radiculopathy. And his comment was, yeah, you've got a herniated disc. I've seen mm-hmm. worse. I wouldn't get surgery. And if it were if it were me, I wouldn't let me, me give you a shot either. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And as I think I mentioned before we interviewed or before we started recording, the I'm going to physical therapy once a week to get some exercise ideas to do on my own. And the physical therapist continually says, even when I walked in, bent over because it hurt to straighten up, it's like, the back is robust. It's going to get better. Move. Mm-hmm. And that's just such, even from seven or eight years ago, that's such a dichotomy or difference. Well, the thing is, is women's health is behind ortho. At least that's what I found after I had babies. I was searching for good information and I was like, all right, well, there's sports teams pouring money into ortho. I mean, there's just, there's so much that's pouring so much more money into ortho and innovation and, and pushing those boundaries. And I just felt like women's health was very, I mean, there are definitely some cutting edge people in it. And as a whole, I mean, there's, there's definitely some really good stuff going on, but as a whole, it was not where ortho was. At least that was my view of it. Ellen, I want to talk about that a little bit as far as how you progressed in your career, because you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, you worked in clinics and your husband, because of his job, had to move to different places with tech companies. When you started out as a new graduate from physical therapy school, were you interested in women's health then or were you the gung-ho physical? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I, uh, I, my ideal person was probably 40, 45, still wanted to be an athlete, which reminds me right now of where I'm at in life. (laughs) And then what's also a little bit different with you is you finished your master's in physical therapy in 2005 and three years later, you got your doctorate in physical therapy. What was the rationale behind that? And what do you think, looking back, is the additional information that you learned? Or was it just maybe you're a little bit like me and that you're an information geek? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a fair question because it didn't really further my career necessarily in any way. I mean, I worked for myself. What was the point? So, yeah, there was a lot of factors that went into that. But one of them was my mother. <laughs> my mother was just really encouraging me to go ahead and go for it. I mean, I, if that's where all of the programs were going and everybody coming out was going to have a doctorate, I might as well go ahead and do it now uh, while I was still fairly young and, and, you know, wanting to dive back into more traditional education. And you know what, having a doctorate, being able to put doctor in front of your name increases your respect level. Did you find that things had changed significantly in the three years since you'd left with a master's degree as far as the information? No, not really. I mean, the the courses were, I mean, I said radiology and, you know, a few things like that that we didn't really go into much in school. But 
Uh, no, I, I didn't. But I, I did do my doctorate research project on the SI joint, which was pretty fun. Um, so, And I recently did a big uh, women's health course, and the whole SI section was still studies from 2005 and 2007. And I'm like, really? I've already been over these. Come on, give me something new. I was like, these are so familiar. <laughs> And my suspicion is listening to some of the other participants, they were going, this is great information. I never heard this before. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, it, it's it's hard to tell. I hope not. But yeah, it was. I just, I don't know whether, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing when you go and take traditional traditional courses. So now you've graduated, you've got your doctorate, you're working in a clinic, working for yourself, hiring people. At what point did the transition say, you know, I really want to focus on women's health? Was that when you ended up in Boston? Uh, that was when we ended up in Virginia. And I had some issues postpartum and did a bunch of research, tried to get help. The traditional treatment methods did not work for me. Um, and that's when I realized there was a lot more to it. And then I just poured into research. And since we had just moved to an area, I didn't have 40 hours a week yet of patient load. So you know how that goes. Uh, so I was able to spend half my time seeing people or a quarter of my time seeing people, half my time as a mom and a quarter of my time doing research. So it was it's nice to get the break to really pour into everything that's out there. And one of the things I do, the reasons I do this podcast is so I get to expand my knowledge base. And I think a good question for the final question of part one of our interview, and I probably am dropping down the rabbit hole with this, but what is the difference just in a nutshell, for example, if somebody's asking you between the traditional care for somebody with problems postpartum versus the methodology that you're utilizing now with your business and your courses? Uh, well, it depends on what area of the body we're talking about. But if we're talking about, let's say, pelvic floor, because that's when people think women's health. All right. That's that's women's health. And it, it, the traditional is just to tell women to do more Kegels, just to do more pelvic floor contractions. But for a lot of women, that doesn't work. And I would say for a significant portion of the physical therapists in the world, not just the U.S., but in the world, they are still only prescribing Kegels. And then another significant portion is not. Another significant portion is looking at the whole body. But I just feel like this is so behind. It's like doing quad sets for your knee. It's like, oh, your knee hurts. Let's do quad sets. That's it. That's all we're going to focus on. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Now people routinely look at the hip and the ankle when they're treating the knee. All right, but that is not standard of care yet for the pelvic floor. And so I just, I think that rabbit hole, but I, I just think we've, we've not come as far. So would it be correct to say that your programming and what you do is more whole body rather than focusing on individual muscles or muscle areas? Oh, absolutely. But that's always the way it's been. You know, if somebody comes in for neck pain, I'm going to look at their hip flexors. If, you know, their their shoulder hurts, we're addressing their scapula movement and their mid-back and their core strength and their breathing. I mean, it's always been that way. The body, that's the, the Shirley Simon approach, right? The attack mm -hmm. the dysfunction, not the source of, of insult. And the hardest thing with Dr. Simon for me to recognize or accept was her comment was just because the spot that's hurting is hurting doesn't mean that's the problem area. It's obvious often the opposite side. And that couldn't be more true with the pelvic floor. Could not be more true. And that's what why we're focusing on this thing. And I feel like the pelvic floor is a reactionary part of our body. 
if, if unless it's been trauma, unless there's trauma from childbirth and that's a direct pelvic floor issue, but unless you're dealing and if you're outside of the trauma from childbirth, it truly is just following the lead or picking up the slack from the other areas around it that aren't working. So I feel like addressing the pelvic floor is just one piece of a treatment puzzle. Like if you were to look at the knee and you were to say, all right, they've got some patellofemoral pain. I'm going to do quad sets. Well, that's probably not going to really help that person. You know what? But 20% of people just doing quad sets might actually help their pain. But then what do you do with the rest of them? So that's... We're talking with Dr. Sarah Duvall. Sarah is the owner of Core Exercise Solutions. We found out a little bit about her background, how she started out as the first woman's pole vaulter in South Carolina, gravitated towards physical therapy school since the age of 14 after working and owning traditional clinics, now specializes in women's health. We're going to come back in two weeks and talk to Sarah a little bit more about her business, about women's health, and how what she does is novel and atypical for what a typical physical therapist does. So, Sarah, thank you for joining Moving to Live for the first part of a two-part interview. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.